Okay, so uh, welcome to Something to Drink About. Welcome. My name is Alex Van Amberg. I'm a certified psalm with the Court of Master Sommeliers and a certified specialist of wine with the Society of Wine Educators. And I'm Christy Collins, a yoga teacher, a mom of three, and Alex's wife. And an ex-actress from L.A. And an ex-actress from L.A. You gave it all up to be here with me. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. I did. I yep. did. Don't miss L.A. Miss my friends. It's hard to miss, miss L.A. Acting. You know, that, that six hours a day in traffic that you get back yeah. by being anywhere else in the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> And it's kind of dirty. Except maybe Seattle. In a lot of different ways, it's dirty. Yes. Yes. The, the layers of humanity there. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> They're all there. <laughs> okay. So if you've never tuned into something to drink about before, um, this is uh, our entire objective is to make wine fun and not frightening. So we're trying to take some of the fear out of wine and we're just trying to make it accessible. Because a lot of times when you go out to get a glass of wine, when the wine steward walks up or when you look at the list, we really have no idea what's going on uh, for the most part. So a lot of times when we're looking for a wine, we mostly find ourselves latching onto a word or two that we feel comfortable with. And we fake it. And we fake it. We all do. I mean, I yeah. was I was a bartender for 20 plus years and I didn't know a thing about wine. And I was always just picking one wine or the other to spiel on because I didn't know. And I was scared to ask questions because I didn't want to look like an idiot. I was supposed to know. And I think on some level, we all feel that way. So that's what this is about. It's about taking that fear away and making it okay to make mistakes. That's Christy's part. And um, <laughs> coming up with useful information. That And I make a lot of mistakes. And I still get afraid. I just have to let you know, even if it's just you and me. There's still a little bit of like, oh, I should know this by now. Well, and, and honestly, I feel the same way. You know, I'm okay. So I've been studying wine for over four years now. I just passed my four year anniversary of uh, of becoming a certified song. Intense study because you've been studying longer than four years. But but um, I was at uh, a restaurant today and someone put up a wine and said, here, try this. What do you think about this? And then they put the bottle back down and they didn't see what the bottle was. So mm-hmm. all I saw was it was a white wine in the glass. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, they're going to make me blind taste. And so I'm trying the wine and I'm like, well, this is interesting. And then I'm, you know, and there's that expectation of, well, what do you think it is? And I'm supposed to know. And so, you know, I, I was, I was just like, I was panicking. I was, I was sweating inside my mouth. I was freaking out a little bit. And I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a certified blah, blah, blah with a certification and blah, blah, blah. And so I'm still panicking. So I'm like, I'm like, well, it's not this. It's not this. It doesn't feel like this. I don't think it's this. Well, what if it is? That'd be really embarrassing to guess the wrong thing. So finally I throw out something almost intentionally vague. It's like, oh, this tastes very Northern Italian. Because in Italy, there are over 3,000 different grape varieties, so it could be anything. (laughs) And it turns out that it's actually from northern France. So at least I was on the right continent. That was good. That's good. And there was actually some similarities between the wine that it was and the wine I suggested it might be. So that's good. So I was definitely in that wheelhouse. But I'm talking, I mean, what I'm saying is that it's still mortifying and it's still terrifying. So wine does not get necessarily easier. It just gets more comfortable. You know, you have to you have to give yourself more time, and uh, yeah, I'll be learning for the rest of my life. There are master psalms out there. I was actually talking, um, uh, internet chatting with someone about uh, the class that we took in in June, and one of the things that one of the master psalms teaching the champagne class said it's like I was panicking before I was teaching this class. I went and I studied for fifteen hours just trying to make sure I was going to teach a good class, and I'm oh, like, wow. Dude, you already know all this stuff. You're a master. That's right. what the title says. You're supposed to know all this stuff. <laughs> but even masters, master sommeliers, of which there's only 200 plus in the world, 
still panic about not knowing enough about wine and still go and do more research. So don't be too hard on yourself. If someone who's dedicated a decade of their life to be mastering this one thing can still panic at the idea of teaching a one hour class on champagne. So, anyway. right, but it is the more you know, the more you know what you don't know. That is absolutely 100% true. And so you learn a little bit and you're like, I am so good at this. And then all of a sudden when you dive into studying whatever it is, wine or yoga or anything else, then you realize, oh, no, there's a whole world I don't know about. Absolutely. I got done studying for my certi- – I got I passed my certified test, which you know I, I foolishly spread around the internet, so lots of expectation <laughs> and pressure. And when I came back – There was a lot of pressure there. Um, to town, people <laughs> were like – How'd you do? How'd you do? How'd you do? Well, and, and, and the only answer I could give was is I, I realize now just how much I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like I'd, I'd been drinking from a teacup and then I, I, I got my pin and then I opened my eyes and suddenly I'm standing at a lakeside and there's that much more knowledge to drink in. And I'm like, this is going to take a while. Mm-hmm. So anyway, exciting to know that that there's so much to know. If you're a student of history, if you're a student of life, wine is a great vehicle to give you direction to study in because honestly, wine's been with us as long as we've been humans. So what a great reason. I was like, oh, I'd like to learn more about Italy. I should probably drink some wine while I study about Italy. <laughs> you know? So it does make studying a little bit more fun because it's not like you're studying a rock. You're studying wine so it's enjoyable well and rocks are part of the study of wine as well so even if you are an archaeologist really? it's important to know the Seriously? vines that grow in that rock right <laughs> so if okay. you're a geologist that's going to be important to understand how that affects the herbs and things growing out of there Absolutely. all right yeah. okay so um so the process is uh that we we go through a wine together uh, i i pick a wine uh, i pour it in the glass and then christy and i go through it and i let her do most of the guesswork and then i sound very condescending and knowledgeable afterwards uh, because I've no, known you never along. sound condescending. Okay, maybe a couple times, but usually you don't. So uh, relaxed and groovy tasting process, just exploring a wine. Ooh, relaxed and groovy. So Christy, tell us about the wine that we have in our glass today. What Let do you me see? see if it's relaxed and groovy. It is a relaxed and groovy. Okay, I have to put it against the white paper because it's a really odd color. It's a, a whitish wine, but it looks almost blushy colored. Yellowy blushy? Is that a thing? Well, yellowy blushy is not necessarily a thing, but um, this color is... Uh, <laughs> amber it, blush? <laughs> amber blush. It, it's uh, a little bit salmon, almost copper, I would yeah. guess in some ways. So, Well, amber blush, copper, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. See? Right. So okay. th- this is... I mean, it, it looks it, cold, too. It is, it is a rather cold wine. It is a lighter, uh, pale salmon uh, color, slightly coppery. Um, held up against the right background, it is um, it is very pink, as well. So um, yeah, so this wine definitely has a rosé color to it, but not the traditional Sutter Home White Zinfandel cotton candy pink we think of no, as a rosé. It's not that bright pink. It's a very, it's a pink that you'd want your curtains made out of. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. I know. At least it's not a skirt or a dress this time. <laughs> but like your your front room formal curtains, if you had a big fabulous house which we do okay (laughs) well for us we have a big fabulous it's better than you know trailer and kittitas that i grew up in okay can you just edit that out (laughs) our big fabulous house here in the suburbs our house is so impressive don't you wish you were us well it, it is from where i come from 
It's a big, fabulous house. From where we come from. I mean, you know, yeah. it, it's like an 800 square foot house that we were living in on, on yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. It, this is a nice house. We're, we're very fortunate. We are I very wouldn't, fortunate. I, I would hesitate to say big and fabulous. That, that betokens McMansions and other things, but that's, anyway, we have fabulous curtains too. In my mind, it's a McMansion. Okay, just edit it out then. Okay, good. <laughs> I don't know what to say. So, um, so anyway, so we've looked at the wine now. Uh, the wine is a copper pink. Uh, now it's in the time glass. to smell it. And uh, is like there a any, little bunny rabbit? Is there any transition in the color to the edge? No, it doesn't look like it's an old wine. It's not browning, um, so the wine is not turning colors. It's it's very consistent color all the way through. It's also very sparkly. It looks like the the lights hitting the recessed lights in our big fabulous house are hitting the wine in its sparkling it's twinkly what why are you rolling your eyes at me well, you can't it's... say edit something out and then refer to it <laughs> i am just i'm emptying my brain i'm taking all the filters out uh-huh except the swearing filter is in that's good so i'm just saying what's on my mind because it seems to work okay it's a good yin to Rabbit your hole. yang no, it's not a rabbit hole. Rabbit it's interesting. Hole. People want to know about us. Okay. Yeah. So don't do that. Don't bring the tone down. Man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Tigger. So anyway, let's refer to, again. We have this uh, this wine in our glass, <laughs> copper pink. Uh, and uh, shall we move on to smelling? Sparkly. Sparkly. Yes. Okay. Not every wine is as reflective of this. I'm just saying. Some wines are not sparkly. Some wines are dull. Okay, so there. Okay. What? <laughs> well, I'm I'm not sure why a certain wine would look more sparkly than another one. Um, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but the reflective quotient or whatever the the refractive index. I on think the wine it's is... because the metallic color of it. Okay, it could also do with the um the very coldness of the glass and the fact that the glass is frosting over on the outside as well. No. Okay, no it's copper color. No, it's copper. I have decided. Copper. I have spoken. The Collins has. So, I, you know that game when you're an actor that you go, yes, and? No. So, instead of, like, <laughs> making me feel bad about myself I'm... and about what I say, you could go, yes, and maybe it is because it's copper, or maybe it's also because it's frosty. And I said, and it's a frosty glass, and you're like, no. It's. <laughs> I'm telling you, you're bringing the tone down. <laughs> I'm not feeling my um, my Church of Scientology tone thing <laughs> is really not being received well here. Okay, I'm sniffing. All now. right, so we're moving on to smelling the wine. Moving okay. away from Scientology. So we have a copper wine in the glass, slightly pink in color, uh, sparkly, and it smells like melon, okay. pear. Like ripe pear, like ripe smushy pear. Um, it's a strong smell. Like it's not one of those wines I smell and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm smelling. Okay, so there's a lot going on in the glass. Yes. I don't know. I came up with like four or five words. I don't smell citrus. Okay. I don't smell, maybe I do smell spicy. Do you smell herbs? I don't know. 
Well, for me, <laughs> what kind uh, of herbs? <laughs> um, the uh, the, the you, you mentioned like pear and like smushy pear. Like that would be an overripe pear. I'm not getting that um, that sickly sweet that comes from a, 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 a an over the hill fruit. Uh, I'm actually getting some underripe notes. It's like a little bit green raspberry, a little bit, you know, like an underripe I hate raspberry. It when you say green raspberry. Um, when I was growing up in Alaska, I used to walk from the bus stop to my house and there were always raspberries in the springtime. Uh, and, and you would pick a raspberry that was exposed to the sun on one side and pop it in your mouth and realize only too late that half of it was still green. Oh. The back half of it was unexposed to sunlight. And so therefore you I didn't realize that. That doesn't happen in Washington State. They kind of ripen all together. So you get these, you know, these, these raspberries that are unfinished. <laughs> okay. So it's a, it's an, an, an immature fruit. And so, um, to me, I have it's got a slight smell of that slightly vegetal, um, like raspberry. Slightly it's, it's, vegetal. It's well, it's it's a red fruit, but it's also slightly green um, because it seems like a slightly underripe uh, red fruit. You know, salmon berries. Do you remember what those smell like? Mm-hmm. This to me smells like a salmon berry, and maybe it's like my mind is bent that way because it's a slightly salmon color. Could be. But salmon berries are also they taste like. To me, like an underripe raspberry. They okay. don't taste as tart. Well, I don't know. It's a very distinct taste. Salmon berries have their own distinct mm-hmm. taste. They're also a little more um, a little more watery. So the flavors are yes. a little more drawn out as opposed yes. to being so intense. So this is a lower intensity uh, red fruit. It's a little bit like strawberry. Um, and they're also, oh, for yeah, me. I smell strawberry. Like a green strawberry. Mm-hmm. Lavender? No. I don't get that, but I, you know, I can smell like four things. You can smell Melon, more, but you're, strawberry. you're, you're chicken. You're scared. Oh, I've same- smelled lavender before. I just don't smell it in this. Okay. Well, a lot of times we experience lavender. Lavender can be very overwhelming. And to, so to find smaller quantities of lavender in something is usually slightly difficult because we're used to lavender being so overwhelming. Lavender soaps and lavender gins and lavender teas and lavender, you know, sachets and all that. Other lavender stuff. eye pillows. Yes, lavender eye pillows. And usually most of the lavender I've encountered in a non-true lavender form has usually been, You've oh never my liked God. it. No, lavender tends to be. In a true lavender form, I have true lavender and I have true lavender buds and you can stop obsessing about the cord, okay? Nothing is going to happen. And... <laughs> And so I get the true lavender buds and I open it in the kitchen. You go, oh, my God, what's that smell? Oh, are you making lotion again? Right. But like there's a difference between that and fresh lavender or uncrushed lavender. Like there's, you know, you know what I mean? Ooh, uncrushed lavender. So what would crushed lavender taste like? Well, crushing it tends to intensify the smell. (laughs) (laughs) And on to tasting. (laughs) Okay, good. Done sniffing? Mm-hmm. Excellent. It's the worst part for me. It's really good. It's a lot sweeter than I thought it would be. Were you afraid it was going to be tart or bitter? No. Okay. I just... Well, unpack that statement. It's a lot sweeter than you thought it would be. You seemed to... What did you think it was going to be? What was your impression based I thought on it would be more dry and more... Um, you know, you could feel it on the sides of your tongue where it kind of dries your tongue out. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't do that. It's a little creamier and sweeter and um, more – there's more berry to the taste than the smell to me. Excellent. Okay. 
but it also is crisp. And are you getting those same berry notes you were talking about before on the tongue that you were getting on the nose? Tastes like salmon berries to me. Okay. And green strawberries. And green strawberries. And a little bit of that raspberry as well. I don't know. The raspberry, you and me are, we differ on the raspberry. I don't know if you taste raspberries differently than I do. Maybe you need to use your tongue scraper (laughs) because then you might taste raspberries the way they're meant to be tasted. Well, I've seen you eat raspberries and um, I tend to eat raspberries one at a time, whereas apparently you tend to eat them one basket at a time. No, the way I eat raspberries is from the vine in the warm sun and they're plumpy and yummy. Plumpy. And warm and sweet. So, um, getting back to the wine. Okay. <laughs> so, salmonberry acidity. Any um, any acid in there? Any of that herbal element that I was smelling? There. Well, yeah. There's acid. It mm-hmm. tastes more. Um, what did I say? There wasn't citrusy in there, but it tastes a little citrusy. Okay. So I didn't smell it, but I taste it. Um, like there is lemon squeezed on a um oh what is that fruit um on oh, as the big ble- it's a <laughs> it's about this big about the size of a baseball but it goes up like this and it's orange and it's smushy on inside it has little black poppy seeds in it do you know what i'm saying no it's a mango papaya 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 it's like, <laughs> it's like, like a, lime squeezed on papaya well i'm thinking but this tastes like lemon squeezed on papaya okay it's definitely got a citrus oil quality to it um the acidity i think um because when the acidity when the fruit washes away and is left with acidity it's not citrus fruit it's citrus oil um because you know citrus oil has a dryness to it almost a tang uh whereas the fruit has a i've never tasted citrus oil I've put it in my on my woolly balls. Okay. Uh, <laughs> would you mind explaining what your woolly balls are? Cause <laughs> so woolly balls, you put in the dryer, and it they um, take the static electricity away from your clothes, as opposed to using a dryer sheet. And to put a pretty smell in your clothes, you put a lemon. So they're lamb's oil. wool. Balls that are for dryers use. Woolly balls. Woolly balls. Okay. <laughs> Fluffy woolly balls. Okay. Um, well, do you like this wine? I love it. Okay. Excellent. Any guess about where it may come from? <laughs> really? I'm just curious. <sighs> okay. I'm going to say California. Because you're just not going to try. <laughs> <laughs> How would I know where it comes from? I don't know. I mean, we've talked, we've done 20 podcasts now. So it means maybe something, maybe you listen to one. First of all, I don't listen to them. (laughs) I don't listen to myself. Well, actually, I don't listen to you. No, I don't listen to you. Once we're done, I'm like, it's in the can. Moving on to the next gig, baby. (laughs) Fair enough. Okay. Um, well, uh, California, uh, California. This is a, definitely a rosé, um, and the color is is very copper um, with uh, with pink following after it, almost a salmon pink. Uh, it is um, it is mildly fruit forward, but it's got a lot of acidity. wait, 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 stop. What you're doing right now is you you have to explain what you're doing. You're going through the grid. I'm I'm vaguely going through the grid. Basically, I'm breaking down the wine according to the five S's. I'm just taking a look at okay. Um, so we we I have a shorthand. So okay, if you're in the court or if you're in the Society of Wine Educators or if you're in the Master of Wine program, or whatever, 
they've given a system together to come up with how you can evaluate wines technically. So you have a system to 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 take apart a wine and compare it to other wines. Yeah. Other than that, you're just it's a lot of guesswork. And it makes sense. So what the court does is they have a system that bases it, you base it first on sight, then you base it on smell, then you base it on taste, then you make and you evaluate all those different sensations and those different categories, and they get further broken down in each, and then you make a judgment call on what you think the wine is and where it comes from. And every one of those senses has a series of tells with most wines that identify a specific wine. Uh, Merlot has a very specific blueberry quality to it. Cabernet smells a bit like green peppers. So each of these wines has little tells. So I've simplified that and I call it the five S's. You see it, you sip it, you sniff it. Uh, Sorry, you see it, you sip it. No, you see it, you sniff it, you sip it, it. you savor it, and you spit it. So five S's. Uh You should have slurk in there. (laughs) So you you basically you evaluate it with your five senses real quick. Um, You know, looking at the wine tells you something. Smelling it tells you something. Tasting it tells you something. Taking a moment to reflect on what you taste and what you smell tells you more than if you just take a, a, a large drink of wine and swallow it. And then usually if I'm tasting more than like five wines, I'll spit. Oh, I so, have a piece of cheese while you're talking. This wine is, uh, to go through the site profile, is a salmon pink. Uh, mm-hmm. This wine is uh, on the smell. It tastes like uh, slightly green underripe raspberries, underripe breadfruit. It smells uh, slightly of lavender, slightly of herbs as well. Um, and then on the palate, it is crisp. It is acidic. It is refreshing. It's got um, uh, uh, underripe fruit tones that are being echoed from the nose into the palate. Uh, it Definitely makes my mouth echoed. water. Citrus mm-hmm. oil, uh, a little bit of that herbaceous quality still in there on the on the aftertaste after the, you've swallowed the wine and it goes away and you exhale. Um, and then your mouth waters with that acidity. So it doesn't taste high in alcohol because it's not giving me heartburn. It's not making my chest flare up yeah, with heat. it's not warm. It's not making my cheeks flush. So a lower alcohol wine that is not overly sweet, that is not, uh, that is not driven by sweet red notes, um, you know, is probably not New World. A lot of New World wines tended to find themselves of by sugar course. first. So this is... Oh! Leans... I was just going to say it's sweet. It tastes really good with cheese, too. Mm-hmm. The contrast of that acidity with the cheese is a really great um, contrast. So mm-hmm. this is very much an excellent summertime wine. Uh, this is uh, Bieler Peretfil uh, Ex-Importance Rosé. So this is... Uh, it's a French rosé. Uh, coming out of the Provence of France, which is the Mediterranean coast down near the south, near the south, mm-hmm. uh, near Marseille, and uh, Bieler Peretfil in Per et Fil or Per and Fil means father and son. So um, mm. Pere P E R E is father, and Fil is the children. See more family, mm-hmm. more family and wine. Well, and actually, there's a cool story about Bieler um, because we've actually done a wine from him before. Oh. Uh, or we come close to it. I don't know if we've done one. But so Charles Beeler paired up with Charles Smith of Washington wine fame. Okay, right. Fame, and they formed a, a line of wines called Charles and Charles. Uh-huh. The reason they did that was because of Charles Beeler's work with Rosé. So cool story about Charles Beeler. Charles Beeler is from France originally. His father's from France. They lived in Provence. Um, and his dad in 1990-something or other bought and created a winery. And they started making rosés and several other lines of wine. And he was in, and, and that's what Provence is known for. So in Provence, it's one of the oldest wine-growing regions in France. So I'm going to go into Provence for a second. Okay. Pro- Provence is one of the oldest wine-growing regions in all of France. It was founded by the Romans 2,000-plus years ago. Oh, that's cool. So when they sailed over... 
over from Italy, you know, they landed in Marseille and they immediately started going up the hillside and planting or taking over grapevines that already existed and started planting there and making wine and shipping it back to Italy. Could you uh, post a, a map Mm-hmm. Of this? Absolutely. Okay. Because I would like to see the map of this. Next time, maybe you can have like a... Right so behind you is a four foot by three head. foot poster of France. It's very uncomfortable <laughs> for me to turn my head all the way to the left. Of course. I understand. Especially it, when I'm drinking wine and eating cheese. If you're looking at France with the north of it facing <laughs> okay, up, um, then in the bottom right hand on, on this map in very in, in lighter pink is the Provence area. Provence is actually, a, um, or is really known for a lot of things, not only for its rosé wines, it also does some reds and some whites. Um, but it's also, um, it's known for Provencal herbs. Have you ever heard of those in cooking, Provencal herbs? The herb mixture? Right. I've never heard it pronounced. I've always thought it was Provencal. Mm-hmm. But it's Provencal? Could be. Should Google it. Uh, well, you get your phone out and you do it. Um, so the, <laughs> really? <laughs> the, the Proven- I've, I've got I wine in one hand and cheese in the other. Alex. <laughs> I am here emptying my brain, taking the filters out. So tell me about what's in Provencal uh, spices. What's in that spice mix? Lavender, rosemary, oregano. Mm-hmm. All herbs that grow in the Provencal area. Mint? So lavender, rosemary, mint, thyme, probably. So thyme. all those things um, come together to create a very distinct, very singular sensation of an area. And a lot of these wines pick up that as well. Singular sensation. Come on, do it. Come on. Every little wine she drinks. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So in the Provencal area, not only have they been growing wine for 2,000 years, they've also those herbs have grown naturally in that area. And the food, because it's on the Mediterranean coast, tends to be very light, very seafood, very shellfish. It has what's called a Mediterranean climate. It's got very mild winters and very warm to hot summers. So the grapes that they grow there on the lower areas tend to be very sweet. And as you get higher up in elevation, they tend to get slightly crisper and slightly more acidic. So really cool growing area. Um really awesome growing area i should say because it's actually a fairly warm growing area and they do a lot of rosé there because the rosé that they grow there goes with the food that they make there seafood and and very fresh and very herb driven so awesome combinations there it's quite a big expanse of land as well it is there's right? quite a quite a you know it's a very large there's i think uh, I don't know. There's like eight, there's eight different specific AOCs there or Appalachian Control A's uh, that have been designated for growing wines there, but they're all very broad. The soil What's types. What's an Appalachian are, Control A again? France specifically delineated certain areas as being Appalachians, meaning that the wines there had a certain style and they had to be grown and made in that certain style. Okay. So they were trying to control and protect wine types. Okay. By delimiting that. Um, so, uh, the soil types in Provence are different all over the place. So it's not specifically driven by soil type. It's driven, the singularity of the area is driven by a type of wine that they all make and they make a lot of rosé there. Mm -hmm. So. This is a great map, by the way. It's awesome, isn't it? It's a wine folly map. Yeah, I like it. So the, um, so the, the Beeler family, his father, Philippe Beeler, uh, bought a winery, uh, in 1990 something or other. And for, you know, for 10 years or so was making wines and his son was learning to make wines with him and his daughter was learning to make wines with them as well. And what Charles Beeler, the son realized is that Rosé really had an opportunity to grow not only in that area, but also in the U S. And so what Charles Beeler did is he bought himself a old pink 
Cadillac convertible. No. And a bright pink tuxedo. <laughs> and he drove around the U.S. with a trunk full of Beeler Rosé. That's great. In a pink convertible, touting the virtues of Provencal Rosé. Now, the difference between a Provencal Rosé and the Sutterholm White Zinfandel that was being made in the 70s, 80s, and 90s mm-hmm. is worlds apart. Provencal Rosé is meant to be light and crisp and fresh and acidic and biting and go well with food like cheeses and shellfish. Um, I mean, can you imagine this with scallops? Can you imagine this with mussels? Yes. Can you imagine this with a cream sauce or a white wine yes. sauce? Um, fresh fruit, melons, summertime mm. dishes on a porch, on a patio, in warm weather. Um, all this really works with this bright, crisp, fresh acidity, this green, light strawberry notes, these this raspberry notes, these, these lavender notes. All this goes really well. Um, and it is a polar opposite from the cotton candy, bubblegum, right. strawberry candy that is White Zinfandel. Mm-hmm. So rosés today are growing more and more in popularity, largely because of the work that Charles Beeler did to popularize them in the late 90s. So in early 2005 or so, his father had an opportunity to sell the winery uh, and make some money. So he did. And so he sold Beeler Winery. And, and that same year, he and his son started Beeler Parrot Field uh, with the money and created a, a very self-directed winery about them. And, their, and so they started creating, uh, they dedicated all their work at first to just doing this rosé here with the idea that this was where they wanted to put their heart and soul into. And it's worked. They do a great job with it. It's not very expensive. It is pervasive. Um, you can find it in a lot of different places. And it is absolutely what a French rosé should be. It is signature of that area. Uh, Aix-en-Provence is where this comes from. It's the second largest growing region in Provence. It's up higher on the hillside, so the fruit is cooler, um, and which means it's more acidic and less lush than the stuff that's grown further down. Mm-hmm. Because don't get me wrong, in Provence, they can do sugary sweet. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of rosés coming out of there. But the Aix-en-Provence, which is A-I-X in Provence, it's an area, um, is cooler growing. So they do a much more acidic, much fresher style. It's so good. I had to have you give me a refill. Oh, it's delicious. Top off. So when Charles um, Beeler came to the U.S., at one point he realized that Charles Smith was doing wines in that sort of that rebellious, exciting young style that he liked. And so he formed a partnership with Charles Smith and they made a Charles and Charles rosé using Washington fruit, doing what Charles Beeler does in Provence in Washington with Washington fruit. So oh, Charles and Charles rosé, so which you can cool. find um, in Washington, certainly in other parts, is a very fresh, very new world driven version of the same Provencal style of rosé. It's more fruit forward, a little bit sweeter. So what I find is wine is very artistic. And so it feels like these two artists came together and kind of melded their artistic endeavors and came up with other things that are that are different but equally wonderful. And I love that. Absolutely. And, you know, you actually look at Charles pictures of Charles Beeler, and he's actually similar in some ways with that long, curly hair to really? Charles Smith. Which is, <laughs> yeah. Um, and Charles Beeler also discovered a kinship with some people in, uh, in, in California as well, and he formed a group called the Three Thieves mm-hmm. um, with Joel Gott and another gentleman. And so they have these wines that they produce there in that partnership as well. So Charles Beeler is, is actually a force to be reckoned with, not only in the old world, but also in the new world, California, Washington. He sees opportunities. Opportunities. He creates opportunities. He drives opportunities. Great, great winemaking sensibilities. Great opportunities being recognized. Creating some amazing wines that are well worth drinking. So, if you do um, want to see what the label looks like on the Beeler Parrot Field, Aix en Provence, um, it's on my Instagram. Instagram. So, uh, and can I just say it's really pretty? Can you turn it towards me? 
because when the wine is together in a bottle, it looks a little bit more pink. And then it has these two really cool axes that are crossed and some kind of emblem. And it's just, it's a beautiful off-white color that somehow enhances this peachy copperiness of the wine. It's just really pretty. Mm -hmm. They've done a great job. So if you're looking for a classic rosé made in the old world style, you're not going to do you're not going to go wrong by looking Provence. That's all I get is uh-huh. That was a good description. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh that's about it for this particular wine then. <laughs> so, uh uh yeah, so anyway, it, on the on Instagram we post pictures of the wines. I also posted on Facebook. Uh you can see us uh hear us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and you can see us on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. So if you have um, questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to, to write to us on Instagram. Uh, always happy to get questions, suggestions, ideas. If you wanted to see, uh, hear, try different wines or whatever like that, let us know. Yeah. I don't know what to say. <laughs> That's all <laughs> I get. I can tell you're ending up or you're, you're <laughs> wrapping things up in a little bow, and I don't want to ruin that because sometimes I'll throw something in and then we'll go on for another 20 minutes, but I think we're good. It's been good. You've done a great job. Love the wine. Love the cheese. Almost two glasses in. Let's do another <laughs> podcast, baby. So thank you for listening to Something <laughs> to Drink About. My name is Alex Van Amberg, and with me is... Christy Collins. So feel free to check us out on Instagram, Something to Drink About, S-O-M-M-T-H-I-N-G, to drink about. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much for joining us. Ka-chow. Ka-chow. <laughs>